Welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders across our communities and councils to discuss business challenges, opportunities, and strategies for success. Hello, and welcome to the CompTIA BizTech Podcast series, brought to you, as always, by our CompTIA business and technology communities worldwide. And as always, my name is Gary Bixler. I'm Vice President of Member Communities at CompTIA, and excited to be your host for this series. Uh, this week, we're bringing you part two of a four-part series uh, from our Attracting Tech Talent and Diversity community. The series is called Culture Shift, and I would like to now introduce, uh, reintroduce, uh, Vet Steele, who is our manager for this community. Yvette, welcome. Um, of course, Gary, uh, and thank you so much. I'm glad that we're having uh, this discussion on part two of Culture Shift. It's about building a talent advantage. Um, organizations, um, you know, are really looking for ways to reskill and upskill the talent they already have, um, understand the, um, you know, what kind of resources and processes and systems that they need in order to, um, you know, tap into uh, the great talent they already have, but also to, you know, we want to, um, help organizations understand the importance of a learning culture and, um, and the, how that's a key to success of not only as an opportunity to, um, reskill the the talent you already have, but also to retain it because by giving them uh, challenging opportunities and challenging their minds, um, it, it, it drives more uh, engagement, productivity, and satisfaction. So, um, you know, making sure that you're um, optimizing your talent is definitely, um, I think, in, in the times of post-pandemic uh, is something that organizations are really looking to, to leverage right now. Um, Absolutely. Was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a, great, it's a great topic and in such a great time uh, because I think you've got everybody's attention um, because of this learning topic, given the, the new way that we're working, uh, there's a critical importance placed on kind of developing new skills and in, in some cases having the time uh, and the uh, incentive to you know, do this culture shift. So I'm excited about the topic. Before we get into the actual podcast, uh, I wanted to, to ask you about one of the things that's coming up that you are uh, an instigator of. You've got me um, buying new shoes and out running and, uh, you know, trying to train for this 5K. We're recording this session uh, the week before ChannelCon. You as a listener will be listening to it after we finished our ChannelCon 2020 event. Hopefully, all of you got to participate in that, but Yvette Steele uh, has organized a little friendly challenge within our teams around the fun run, the 5K fun run uh, that's going to be happening at ChannelCon. Everybody running on their own and submitting their times, but Yvette and I will be participating. So Yvette, what made you think of that? I can't take credit for that. I uh, wish I could because it was a fabulous idea. Um, that idea was actually initiated by the Advancing Tech Talent and Diversity Communities Chair, Val Haskell. Uh, she's very active and very um, athletic. And for me, um, I'm just looking forward um, to participating in it. From the standpoint, it's it'll be part of my exercise for the week. And I've never done a 5K before, so I'm hoping I survive it. Yeah, well, me too. I'm sitting <laughs> down here and in Austin, Texas, it's forecast to be 103 here today. So 
Uh, I will be running probably pre-dawn as best I can uh, out on the, the town lake here in, in Austin. So, but I appreciate you kind of pushing me to do that. I'm looking forward to it uh, for sure. So let's get into the session today, Yvette. You already introduced the topic at hand. Why don't you go ahead and introduce us to your great guests for today and then let's get started. Absolutely. Um, it'll be the same guests that participated in, um, in the, the first section. So if you missed part one of Talent Untethered, we're continuing that conversation with uh, Rachel McGinnis, Suzanne Tedrick, uh, Carl Polichuk and Jill Chapman. So you'll get uh, to know them and, um, and, and learn more about um, building a talent advantage, advantage uh, through this lively discussion that we're about to have. Now I'm going to, um, you know, shift this to, to Rachel um, because we've talked about, you know, how the needs of remote workers vary from in-office workers, how you can feel isolated as most communications happen online and you don't have the luxury of casual coffee breaks and impromptu uh, water cooler chat. So with the pandemic heightening normal stressors, it's never been more important to foster the well-being of your employees. While many companies may have already had robust employee wellness programs, it's likely that most of them uh, were not intended to serve a remote workforce. So I'd like to approach employee wellness from two perspectives. One, what can organizations do in support of employee wellness? And two, what can individuals do on their own? Okay, great question. <laughs> so my, my sort of rule of thought on this is, is prevention is better than cure with um, employee wellness. And um, there, there is word that uh, through the sort of mental health organizations that there will be a tsunami of mental health problems as a result of, of the pandemic. So I think that's something that employers employers should be prepared for and have uh, strategies in place to sort of help uh, cope with this. Uh, I mean, for organizations that already have an employee wellbeing program, maybe they need to sort of look at it in a slightly different way if there are more remote workers now. So you need to have the, the um, processes in place to preempt these sort of issues. Um, but also it's important to build on resilience as well. And in the uh, last quarter of 2019, before the uh, pandemic, uh, the sort of biggest well-being concerns with UK employees were, so 40% of them said it was money, financial. 38% said it was sleep. 34% was uh, lacking self-esteem and self-confidence. And 24% was physical illness. So looking at those stats, it's like, what is that, what does there need to be in place to, to help people? So obviously financial well-being is a, is a big one and even more so um, since the pandemic has happened. Uh, big sort of high risk group for feeling very stressed about finances um, are the 18 to 20 year old um, age group, but that actually can stretch up to uh, 40 year olds. And I just want to sort of touch a little bit on um, how, uh, you know, what the stats are for mental health. So in the UK, uh, the charity Mind, which is like a sort of big uh, charity about mental health, 
uh, they say one in four people suffer um, or have a mental health problem every week and one in six suffer from anxiety and depression per week. So it's really important that organisations look as to what they've got in place and what they can do to improve this. So whether or not it's um, you know, catering for a, a remote workforce, whether or not um, you know, they have webinars or there's online resources, they have an intranet with experts sort of talking about the various topics I've just um, mentioned. Um, or is it having an online well-being program that there's like a sort of done for you service if your resources aren't able to cope with sort of putting something like this in place if you don't have a big HR department or occupational health department and also having a well-being program that sort of promotes sort of little nudges you don't want to be what we call in the UK a nanny state where you're nagging people to look after themselves so it's like gentle nudges because People react to how they want to take care of their, their health in all sorts of different ways. Some people want to be told, some people hate it, and some people just need those little um, nudges. And whether or not, I don't know if you have this in the, in the States, um, in the UK, we have mental health first aiders at work. They're not mandatory, but it's a big thing. Mental health is on the top of the agenda for um, workplace well-being. Um, and for every dollar that you invest in well-being, your organisation will see six dollars in uh, return on investment, which is a reduction in absenteeism, presenteeism, and um, I forgot what the other one was. <laughs> Leaveism. <laughs> Just go back to my notes. Start again. Yeah, so um, for every dollar that an organization will spend, um, the organ uh, they will get $6 back um, on their return investment, reduced absenteeism, presenteeism, and staff turnover. So it's a saving an awful lot of costs. And then to answer the second part of your, your question um, about what individuals can do on their own. Well, having a structure or framework that they can access and get all the information that they need is, is great. But at the end of the day, um, everybody is responsible for, for their own health, you know, whether it's mental or, or physical health, but it's creating a culture and environment that people feel comfortable um, if they need to talk to somebody within the organization. And in, in the UK, 51% uh, of employees actually feel comfortable uh, talking to their online, uh, talking to their direct managers about their mental health. So I think there's a lot of uh, work to be done, but um, I think it's up to employers to make sure all these things are in place so that they're not going to have employees costing them money in terms of absenteeism, presenteeism or staff turnover. Well, perfect, uh, Rachel. That's certainly um, a lot of information there. Um, I really um, enjoy the, the the wellness programs that 
have worked well in, uh, within the organization that um, where I'm employed, where there's a, a culture committee, where we talk about those kinds of things in terms of how to make the environment, um, you know, such that, you know, we are just by the, uh, the nature of the way that we work, reducing the amount of stress for our workers, um, you know, understanding too that sometimes a dog is going to bark on a zoom meeting <laughs> um and and not judging people uh for that happening or you know the uh your daughter is suddenly you know running up you know she's five or six years old and she wants a kiss from mom it's it's great now that organizations are being much more understanding about you know what this new life is like and um having it such that you you don't feel judged or that you don't feel stressed because something a little bit unusual happened uh, uh, during the day. I know for me as an individual, I like stepping outside and, and, and going out for a walk. Um, like I, it's, and it's, it's funny, it kind of happens at the same time every day. Um, if the, if depending on the weather and what's going on that day, my body will tell me, Yvette, you need to get up and go for a walk, take a few deep breaths, and I, I come back refreshed. So um, I, I think it's important that we as individuals understand what works for us, what our personal conditions and circumstances are, and having those conversations with our boss of saying, you know, I, I can... I can do this at this time. Um, I'm not available at that time. If communication were, um, you know, part of, of, of the, the normal day-to-day -day where everybody's on the same page, I think, again, it, it goes um, a long way in eliminating the stress um, and the anxiety of adapting to this new normal. So, um, Carl, I, I, I think I want to switch gears a little bit. And uh, thinking about your work in this space means that you've got firsthand knowledge on the battle for talent that tech companies face, especially if you're a small or mid-sized business. So understanding how culture plays a significant role in attracting and optimizing talent, um, you know, that can be the difference between a thriving organization and one just scraping by. So companies can create a climate uh, that can inspire curiosity, uh, provide intellectually stimulating challenges and opportunities for growth. Those companies have a competitive advantage. So uh, Carl, let's explore some ways in which to create this rich and vibrant culture where the best minds are engaged and inspired to perform at their optimum. So I'm a big fan of uh, what, what I call grow your own, right? Which is I like to hire mostly uh, young people who are starting their careers and have clearly got talent, right? And then training them in the way that we do things. Um, and, you know, part of this is I have this perspective that no one who ever comes to work for me is going to retire with me, right? So it doesn't matter how much I rely on them or turn work over to them or are grateful every day that they're here and that they are working their tail off. I know that I got three to five years probably maximum, and then they're going to get on with their career. And so part of what I build into our systems here is 
I want to be constantly training people so that when they leave, we've bulked up their portfolio of all of the things that they've done and the skills they have and the you know, sites they've worked on and so forth. So that when they look back, they say, man, that was a great place to work. And then they send me somebody else <laughs> who also does an amazing job for me. And I will say with regard to you know, the whole concept of diversity, if people, especially today, if people are remote and they are good at what they do, um, it, it, you know, there's absolutely no reason to say I have to pick from the people who live in my city or, or showed up for an interview, right? That we can pick from anybody in the world and train them to do what we need done. And obviously there are requirements and, and, you know, you have to do some measurements, but, you know, I don't know anybody who knows the technology that exists today that didn't exist five years ago, right? There's just a handful of people that have figured out, oh, I'm just going to stay on top of this stuff. And, you know, nobody that I hired 10 years ago started with the technology that hadn't been invented yet, right? It's not possible. So you are, especially in IT, always training, training, training. And uh, so I think we have more opportunities today than ever to train up the people to be exactly, uh, you know, have the skill sets that we want them to have. Um, and the, the, the world is our oyster, as they say. <laughs> Carl, I definitely agree. Um, I, I always find that the places where I felt like I was being trained and valued, I enjoyed my time a lot more. And I always look back on the experience fondly than the places that were like, I'm not going to train you because I'm not going to spend all the money. You're just going to leave me, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so, is that a weird mindset? Like, I'm not going to employees. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that works for you. Um, I, I think um, companies that also allow um, their employees to, you know, kind of pursue kind of entrepreneurial projects within the organization, um, or, you know, our, our organizations that will probably find talent kind of flocking to them. Um, it gives not only employees a way to kind of, um, you know, cultivate other interests, but it also gives them opportunities to develop uh, skills that will be, you know, essential for the job that they're, they're doing now. Uh, so one of the, the things I'm really passionate about is, is mentoring. And luckily, you know, IBM has allowed me to do that in a number of different ways and, you know, internal organizations. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that my, you know, my boss and my media team see the value in it, not only in cultivating talent to eventually come into the pipeline, uh, but they see me as a, more, uh, as a more effective communicator, as a better leader, um, and, and as someone that is, you know, has leadership potential. So, um, you know, employers shouldn't look at side projects as necessarily like with a weary eye that it's going to take all of their attention, but rather look at it as a means of this is going to further develop my talent and it's going to benefit me in the long run. And, and in terms of your attention, it motivates you, right? Because now you enjoy your job more and you feel like you're giving back and, right? So it, it helps fulfill you as a person. And if a job can do that, that's an awesome thing. Absolutely. 
So, you know, I think too, what's important um, here when it comes to the, the battle for talent is um, thinking outside the box. And I know that's a, a cliche and <laughs> forgive me for saying it, but you know, one of the things that I think organizations are are missing the, the the boat on especially for entry-level roles is hiring untapped talent you know or you know people who don't have any previous uh, work experience they're you know uh, fresh out of school or they're um, you know newly certified with a technology certification you know there's uh, they're a blank canvas they're showing up to your organization uh, willing to roll up their sleeves um, and, and they're basically a sponge. They're, there's nothing there for them to have to unlearn. You can take um, a, a worker that's new to the workforce and mold them into uh, you know, your, your ideal worker, give them the resources that they need, um, train them, as you said, Carl, train, train, train. Um, but in addition to that, I, th I think employers are also get a benefit from, you know, this new level of curiosity where um, these un this untapped talent will be asking questions about things and challenging, why do you do it this way? Um, so there's, there's a, a lot of opportunity here when you think differently about attracting talent, optimizing talent, and, and where you can get it from. Um, I'm wondering, uh, Jill, if you have any uh, ideas or recommendations on like resources and, and, and uh, systems and processes that need to be in place to facilitate something like this. Right. So I, I think to take a step back from understanding your philosophy on who you're going to hire and how you're going to hire them, if you adopt, you know, like to Carl's point, he has uh, a mission or a, a goal in mind that he's going to bring in that early talent, that younger talent, uh, and and train them up in his way. So he understands his his philosophy, his idea for what works well for his organization. And I think so many times we work with with companies that don't have that vision, right? They don't have that philosophy already baked in. And so if I can give any kind of guidance to, to an organization. It's to take a step back, especially when you don't need to hire in the moment and create some of that infrastructure so that when you do need to hire, it's like basically flipping a switch, right? And you put all these, these wheels into motion, but to really understand the organization and understand how we see our employees within our organization. Are there replaceable cogs in a wheel or are we looking for these people to innovate and to, and to provide that creativity? And that will help us to then figure out where do I go to fish for these people? Um, you know, what resources do I need and what, uh, what resources can I use? Can I leverage to make sure that I bring the right people into the organization? Because it's not a one size fits all. You hear about big job boards and things like that. For a small or uh, even a medium sized employer, that's maybe not the right place to be. There are many more opportunities to, uh, to identify niche sites or to network with people to identify the right talent for you. But you have to understand who it is that you're looking for to begin with, right? You have to be able to define that um, and define where you fit in, into the marketplace. Suzanne talked about doing things that then attract people to your organization. Um, and, and that speaks volume. If, if you can articulate your employee value proposition, if people understand the kinds of folks that you're looking for, they'll come to you. 
Um, and, and that's so much more beneficial if they can kind of self-select in. And those that aren't going to fit your culture and aren't going to fit your organization can self-select out and keep on going down the road, right? Um, then, then that's a fantastic place to be. But you have to be able to articulate what your ideas are, your philosophies, what you expect out of your employee base. And they have to be able to understand that and see themselves fitting into that um, uh, to, you know, uh, to be able to identify the right people to join your company at the right time. I, I couldn't agree with you uh, more, Jill. That that was some very helpful information. And, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, at this point, it, it makes sense to talk about training and learning, right? Uh, company culture with its power to influence behavior, perceptions, and interactions play a huge role in the success of shifting to an environment of, of continuous learning. So, you know, teams look to their leaders to navigate through such change. So, uh, Rachel, I, wondering, you know, what is your advice to leaders in guiding the organization before, during, and after the shift? Um, well, I think that um, it's important to, to train management to um, spot, you know, how their employees are working, you know, are they being effective and efficient? And what is it that they're sort of doing within their role that um, maybe, uh, you know, they're having sort of difficulties with sort of coping with, um, with workload. Uh, so I think um, it's, it's training those leaders to sort of spot what's going on with employees. But as we said before, we don't want them to be micromanaged, but we want them to sort of pick up on things before things maybe, you know, maybe they escalate. Uh, and to be aware of when employees are, um, you know, maybe when they're in their sort of presenteeism mode or leaveism um, mode, which can lead to burnout. So I think it's really important that, you know, you catch these things before they, they happen. And also I think leaders should set by example and uh, ensure that their teams are, are trained and they're communicated with, um, you know, so that they, they just can just pick up these things. Thank you, Rachel. Um, we are pretty much um, out of time. So um, as, we, as we transition to tell um, our audience goodbye, any last thoughts that we'd like to leave our audience with? Any key takeaways anyone would like to share? I would like to just encourage people to think of the world as a place that's constantly changing. And I know that seems obvious, but so many times we hire people as if this is a permanent decision and it's irreversible. Or we train people on a certain route and now we think of them as the, the voice over IP person and not the person who could learn a different skill or, or some programming. And, you know, everything that we do this moment is, is an opportunity to do something different. And, you know, a lot of people in public policy, they, they push a certain view of the world and then they wait for the opportunity to actually introduce the legislation and make it happen, right? And so they basically are sitting on the sideline with a package ready to go. And in many ways, that's the way I think people should look at their own businesses and their careers. 
Like, I want to be able to do this, so I'm just going to keep my eyes open, move ahead, and then when the opportunity comes, I'm going to pounce. Whether that is to improve yourself, improve your business, improve others. Um, I think if you see the world that way, you realize that you have a lot of influence on the world around you, and you don't have to be constantly responding. And I think that maybe that gives you a little uh, better mental attitude when you're trapped at home after four months of a pandemic, you know. But, you know, that there's always opportunity, and this isn't a one-time thing that, you know, because we had, um, you know, a, a lot of unrest this summer that suddenly a bunch of change is going to happen and then it won't happen again. The change can always happen uh, in our businesses. The change can always happen in our personal lives. We just have to be willing to push those opportunities when uh, they avail themselves. Yeah, I agree, Carl. And it's, it's that ability to be able to pivot and look for all those opportunities and look for things in a positive way. Um, because that's how I've treated this pandemic is, you know, it's just looking at all the positives that can come out of this and, you know, what can we learn from, you know, what's, what's happened and what opportunities can, can we gain from all this? I, I think that that then speaks to the kinds of folks that we want to align ourselves with, the kinds of folks that we want to bring into our organizations. And maybe it's less about hiring based on skills, but more on characteristics like adaptability, um, because we've never seen more than this time that we need to have people who can pivot, who can who can change the way that they've viewed the world and viewed their office and viewed their, their work assignments uh, to something completely different. So I, I think beginning to look at our, our organizations as those things that are growing and adaptable rather than something that, um, to Carl's point, is kind of stuck in, um, uh, in the way that we've always done it. It's never been more important than right now. Uh, I was just going to add um, the need for for self-care and to really advocate that during this time. Uh, there's, you know, we've all been impacted in some ways, some ways more than others. Um, industries have changed, ways of working have changed, and it's required everyone to just adapt on the fly as best as humanly possible. And it's it's hard. And I'm not a you know ashamed to say that you know there are days where it just is a lot to take in. And I think the reason I emphasize self-care is that for you know people who are workaholics like myself and <laughs> other you know uh, communities, there's almost this there's almost this way where we don't want to admit our vulnerability or the fact that that we're human. And so I, I say all of this to say, it's, it's okay not to be okay. It is okay to take time to take care of yourself. Um, and you, you have to take care of yourself first, whatever that looks like. So have the conversations with your managers, reach out to professionals if need be, reach out to your family, but uh, first and foremost, take care of yourself. On that note, Suzanne, I have to say, that's the best way to close this session. Just remember to take care of yourself. Thank you, Rachel, Jill, Carl, and Suzanne for your time. I've truly enjoyed our conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Hello.
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the CompTIA BizTech podcast. For more information on CompTIA membership, communities, and councils, visit comptia.org membership. If you enjoyed this podcast, the greatest compliment you can give us is subscribing, sharing, and liking the broadcast.